Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
is Rory Sauter. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sauter Show. Happy Thursday to all of you. It is great to be with you all again today. We had a great show yesterday. Absolutely fantastic. I want to thank all of the special guests. I want to thank all of the sponsors. I want to thank the audience. I want to thank my co-host. I want to thank everyone, as I always usually do when the show starts. Um, we do have a lot of breaking news to get to. Um, I am with my co-host, I believe, Legislative Affairs President Ronald Reagan, a national security expert, Islamic historian, political activist, and Amazon bestseller, Valerie Greenfield. How are you, darling? Good. Thanks, Rory. Good to have you on. Great to have you, as always. Um, it's uh, another great show tonight. We have a huge headlines. Um, you were with us last night, and we did. We had a phenomenal show. Uh, today's show is uh, our special guest will feature founder and director of Defense Distributed, 3D, print, 3D gun printing genius, cryptocurrency expert, public speaker, political strategist, and New York Times and Amazon bestselling author Cody Wilson. Cody Wilson was with us about a week and a half ago, uh, but he's making headlines every second on every single newspaper. Um, we do have a lot more questions we want to get into um, and ask him, and I have a, you know, I'm just reading up on him. I mean, this guy's a fascinating individual, and uh, we had a great interview uh, the last time he was on. He was on for well over an hour, and that wasn't even enough time to get everything, you know, out that I needed to ask. I mean, this guy's lived one hell of a life, and uh, I mean, the guy's my age. I mean, the guy uh, is definitely ahead of his time, no doubt about it. Um, you know, and uh, we also have millionaire, investor, public speaker, hedge fund master, CEO of a gold mining company, silicon smelter owner, and a New York Times and Amazon bestselling author, John D. Coons, will be calling in. So uh, we do have a huge show tonight. Uh, I do want to start out by saying rest in peace to the great Burt Reynolds, uh, who is unfortunately has has left us at the age of 82. Um, one hell of an actor, truly talented individual in every single way possible. Probably, I mean, arguably one of the greatest. I mean, there, there's, you know, the roles that he could put on and the, you know, the, the certain things that uh, he could do in these movies and, you know, his demeanor and, and his... Um, just his, his, he just had this gift. He was so talented, and he was so, most of all, unique. Burt Reynolds is one of those people that is so one of a kind. He's a, he's a profound individual, and, um, you know, he was a true American patriot, too. Um, from my understanding, for the most part, from what I know, uh, from Burt, Burt Reynolds' political past, uh, he was an advocate, advocate for conservatives, um, you know, he and, and most of these older actors were, you know, it's not surprising him, Clint Eastwood, um, J uh, Jimmy Duvall, um, you know, you got all these different people. Um, who's the other guy? Oh, John Boyd, who's a big Republican, big Trump supporter. So, you know, Burt Reynolds, God, I am devastated. I mean, the guy looked – if you look at him a couple of years ago when he was in a movie, the guy did not look bad for his age. He was aging pretty well. So, you know – this all, you know, obviously death comes out to a shock to a lot of people, um, you know, but Burt Reynolds, you know, 82, you know, lived a good life. I mean, obviously there's, you know, it's still a little young. I mean, I, you hope people can at least live until into their 90s. Um, 
you know, and, uh, you know, I also want to say that um, I do want, Valerie, I want you to comment on Burt Reynolds because I'm sure you're a huge fan, but um, President Trump uh, was holding, also holding a rally in Montana tonight, and uh, everybody, he did a fantastic job, and it might still be live, but I had to kind of cut it off after I watched for like an hour because I had to get on the air, but uh, he did great, and uh, he's, in Montana crowd is I think it's up to 25,000 people or something, something crazy. Um, but your thoughts, though, Valerie, on the whole Burt Reynolds thing. So sad, right? I really – he kind of dropped off the radar for a while. Um, yeah, You know, like you said, I, I guess the last time you watch somebody on the screen, you think that they stay that age. Um, yes. I didn't really realize how old he was. But, um, yeah, he was I didn't either. Friend, I never and, thought he um, was 82. I never thought he was 82. So you're right. I mean, he was an icon, and he was, you know, well-liked by all, I think. He, you know, he didn't get into too oh, much nasty political stuff. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. But he was a great guy. You know, as, I mean, I don't know him personally, but as far as what he played and how he made Americans feel through his art, I thought he was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, um, you know, absolutely. And, and, you know, I just wanted to take this small moment to kind of, you know, uh, send our best to his family and his friends, and you know he leaves behind a great legacy, um, and 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 he should be proud, definitely proud of it. Um, I did forget to mention uh, we um, will uh, be talking about um, a lot of um, stuff that I did not get to last night, which I will get tonight. Tonight, which I'm really excited. Um, there was a new report out today, which I'm very excited about. Jobless claims have now unexpectedly plunge to a new low before the 1969 record that was just that Trump just broke. So now jobless claims are even before 1969. I mean, Trump is in his own like realm and own level of uh, professionalism and profoundness and something that you can't even describe into context. I mean, this guy uh, is something that was sent from God. I mean, he is absolutely <laughs> invincible, and he is, like he says on Twitter, he's a stable genius, without a doubt. I mean, <laughs> you know, I uh, that's incredible, though. And you have all these people trying to bring him down, and they don't even want to talk about the positive stuff. They don't. The, the left wing media won't talk about. But if it was Obama, you know, having these record jobless claims, oh God, it'd be headline fucking news. You know, it's um, your thoughts, though, Valerie. I know you want to speak on this. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I don't even think it was really mentioned in the news um, what these yeah. stats are, yeah. and yeah. I think this is some of the main. Well, on, Bri- on, Bri- on the left, on the on the conservative on the conservative outlets, it was, but on the left wing right, right, outlets, right. it just completely got left out. But this is some of the reason why, um, you know, the the um, African Americans are now realizing that the Democrats are not doing doing it for them, and oh, yeah. you know they're they're seem to be getting what they're what they've always wanted, but it's not from the party they thought it would be, and um, oh, no. I no. think it's great. And you know what else is great? A new poll came out today saying Nike's favorability crashed by thirty four percent, thirty four percent. Their favorability crashed because of Kaepernick. Yep. I mean, yep. this guy you know, literally, 
Yeah, it will. Because, you know, Nike's trying to play with us. They're trying to play with our emotions. They're trying to see how far they can get. They're trying to push this every extra inch. And um, the American patriots and the true uh, conservative and believers of this country aren't going to fall for some scumbag uh, player who hasn't, who, who hasn't uh, seen field time in two years. I mean, the guy – and by the way, it's funny, and I wanted to mention this to my audience, and I'm sure everybody knows, but when Kaepernick started his protest kneeling, he was benched. He wasn't even a starter anymore. And all these people think he belongs in the league. I mean, that's debatable. I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't know if that – you know, he was at one point, he was a great talent. But it gets to the point where if you're, he was benched and he started that whole ritual. Just to, like, you know, like I said, forever. It's all about drawing attention for these kneelers. It, and it's total disrespect to our military. It's sickening. It, it's disgraceful. Um, I do want to welcome our um, special guest, though. Give me one second. Hold on. Excellent. It is my very honor and pleasure to introduce our special guest, and uh, he's a very popular guy, a millionaire, investor, public speaker, hedge fund master, CEO of a gold mining company, silicon smelter owner, and uh, a New York Times and Amazon best-selling author, John D. Is it Coons? Am I spelling it? Am I pronouncing it right? Yes, it is, Rory. Thanks for having me on. That's correct. John, it's great to have you back, buddy. I know you uh, talked to us a few months ago, and you were heading uh, over to your gold mine overseas, and uh, you had some work to do. And when you do that, you're pretty much out of the cell cell range. Yep, I, I, I actually have I've been uh, stateside for a couple of weeks. I'm I'm actually returning to the mine on uh, Saturday. Oh wow! So you so you're just here. How long have you been? In, how long have you been on? Uh, you know, in the uh, U.S. for I know you go back and forth, but you you come here for a little bit, then you go back to the gold mine. C- correct. I, I've been here for a couple of weeks, and I'm I'm going back there uh, until uh, roughly Thanksgiving. Oh wow! So please, you know, John, you're a very successful businessman. You've built some of the you know helped built some huge companies, and you're very smart with the market. And you know a lot about what's going on, as well as your whole gold mining thing. Explain that to the audience, because you were on before. But for people that don't know, because, you know, my, my show is now downloadable and, and, be, and being listened to in 14 different countries. So, you know, for people that don't know what you do, what you're currently doing, please explain some of your uh, projects and what's going on right now. Sure. Well, uh, I, I generally uh, in, invest my money and money from other financial institutions overseas. Um, I've, uh, from 2005 to 2014, I was an investor in China. Uh, I wrote, uh, uh, my my current novel is about uh, smuggling jade over the Burma-Chinese border. But but today I'm focused on uh, investing on an island in uh, the South Pacific, it's it's called Bougainville. It's in the Solomon Islands. Uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with Bougainville because we yep. fought a lot of uh, air, land, and sea battles there in World War II. 
And what a lot of people don't know, if they've heard about Bougainville, they don't realize that from 1972 to 1989, it was the home of the largest gold and copper mine in the world, a, a mine called Panguna Mine. Uh, there were some uh, conflicts with the local islanders that shut that mine down, but now Bougainville is back open for business as a, as a mining area, and, and that's where I find myself uh, pursuing uh, business today. Well, yeah, wow, wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, and, and tell us, please, for people that don't know, um, you know, the businesses that you've helped create and built, I mean, you've gone from so many different sort of categories in the different, you know, build, business realm. I mean, I know you've been involved with so many different things. Please, please explain that to the audience. You're like, sure. it's like your background, um, how it all started for you. You know, you're, I mean, you've lived a hell of a life. I've read your books. I've read some of your background. It's impressive stuff, buddy. Well, thank you. So uh, when I, when I got out of school and by the way, uh, I, I was an art major in school, but uh, I was lucky enough to go to business school as kind of what they call a token poet. When I got yeah. out of school, I, I went I went to Wall Street and I went to uh, the project finance department of a, a firm called Solomon Brothers, which was pretty yeah. well known back in those days. Yeah, and uh, ma- majored in uh, in in in, in uh, putting together infrastructure projects. Um, so the, the first thing I did was put together uh, power projects in, in, in the United States. I'm, I'm actually the first guy to put a hydroelectric project on the Mississippi River. It, it's the uh, largest hydro project uh, on that river. It's uh, called the Vidalia Hydro- Hydroelectric Project. And uh, that company was called Catalyst Energy. It was the fastest growing company in the United States from 1982 to 1987, just to date myself, and uh, I've spent a lot of time investing in assets like that around the world. I I, I spent time uh, not only in the U.S., and I've talked about China, but also plenty of time in uh, Latin America as well. Wow, yeah, yeah, and you you pretty much have been everywhere globally and, and invested a lot of your financials uh, you know, here in America and overseas as well. So, you know, you have different experiences in all these various countries. I mean, you know, in terms of countries you've done business in, I mean, can you specify? Well, uh, sure. There's been a lot of them. Uh, I, I, um, uh, not, not just in the U S and China, but, uh, I've put up projects in Argentina, uh, Brazil, um, uh, Burma, uh, Honduras, Costa Rica, Mexico, yeah. a lot, lot of projects in in the British Isles. Uh, so, a lot of places around the world. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, you, you think about it, and and you know, Valerie, go ahead. I know you have a few questions, and then I want to get to a couple things. Sure. Um, thanks so much, uh, Mr. Coons. This is like amazing to have you on the show, and your background. I don't even know where to start. How did you decide to get into gold mines? Like, why gold versus copper or some other um, other interest? Uh, nice, nice to talk to you, Valerie. Well, you know, you're not going to believe it. Uh, this is this is a, a crazy story. Um, I have some friends who are film producers, and um, they they are uh, 
some of the investors and backers of a reality TV show called Alaska Gold. Maybe some of you uh, listening have seen it. It's a pretty popular reality TV show. And um, they actually uh, came to me, uh, and they wanted to put together a reality TV show in a crazy place they told me called Bougainville. And um, uh, they they wanted wow. to know if I would be interested in investing in that in that show, and in in that uh, uh, in that in, in, a, in a TV show and in that place. And I said, well, you know. I'd have to go look at it, so uh, I went down to Bougainville. It's, it's a wild place to get to. It takes about 30 hours from New York City to get there, and um, I wasn't much interested, I'll be honest, in the reality TV show, but once I got to Bougainville, I learned two important things about the place that made me very interested in Bougainville itself. The first is, as I mentioned earlier, um, Bougainville is a site of a, a very lucrative uh, former mine, Panguna Mine, that was operated uh, from 1972 to 1989. It was the largest gold and copper mine in the world at that point, and then it was shut down due to problems with, with the, the locals. And I uh, learned that there could be a chance that gold mining would reopen in Bougainville. The second thing I learned, Valerie, which was just as interesting, is because of that conflict, um, um, Bougainville got an agreement with the country that it now belongs to, which is Papua New Guinea, that its people could vote for independence on June 15th 2019. In other words, about nine months from now, uh, Bougainville will have the chance to vote for its independence. And when I was there, I, I talked to the locals and I realized that the country was probably going to vote for independence. I mean, that election hasn't taken place yet, but I'm fairly sure they will go ahead and vote for independence. So Here's a, a place rich in natural resources where it could be the newest country on earth. So that got me interested, and, and Valerie, to answer your question, that, that's how I got there. I, I, I hadn't really had any experience owning and operating a gold mine, but I just thought it was, it was time to look into it because of that basic opportunity. That is a spectacular story. Um, wow. And who knew, you know, I mean, yeah. another country. This is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't even know where to go from that. That's amazing. So are you involved with other prop other projects in Bougainville besides um, mining? Well, that, that's a great question. Uh, when I went down there, uh, I, I actually told my investors that we should basically – do do what they did back way back in 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 eighteen forty nine in california you know there's if if you study that in your history class in school, they always quiz you well, who made more money the gold miners or somebody named Levi Strauss and of course Levi Strauss put together the blue jean company and and he made a lot more money than people in the coal mine business so I originally thought that we would invest in a lot of businesses uh over there. And, and I still feel that way as a concept. 
But I will also say it's very difficult to do business in, in Bougainville. It's a very primitive place. There's there's no hotels and there's very little electricity. So in the end, my conclusion is I've got to make money in the gold business first before I can diversify. So right now I'm just focused on the gold business. Now that doesn't mean I'm just in the mining business. So I am not only in the mining business in Bougainville, but I'm the largest dealer of gold and and buyer of gold on the island today. So what does that mean? Well, there's plenty of people on Bougainville panning gold in streams, just like they did in California and Alaska 100 years ago. As a matter of fact, it's probably the number one cash crop, if you will, on the island right now. But these people are very poor. They, they are mining with hands and pans. And if you're there to buy gold from them, you're doing not only them a service, but you're going to be able to buy that gold at a pretty decent price and turn around and sell it to the world market. So not only am I in the, in the mining business on Bougainville, but I'm a buyer of gold too. And ultimately, yes, I, I plan to be in other businesses there as, as the economy develops. But right now I'm really focused on the gold business. Makes sense. Um. Would you suggest that Americans buy gold right now? Well, um, you know, right now, as, as some of your listeners are probably aware, gold has been going down this year. As a matter of fact, right now it's about $1,200 an ounce on the London Bullion Exchange, which is the typical kind of world price proxy. Uh, uh, I think in the beginning of this uh, year it was about 1260 um, what they say about gold is they're not making it anymore <laughs> in other words there's a lot of places where they've discovered gold and they've mined it all um, there's a few places where they're still hoping to find large deposits although maybe it's not going to be that uh, lucrative to get it out of the ground um, so you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that somebody buy gold or not buy it, but um, I think the, the price has been fairly stable. I will say this, that the two largest countries in terms of population in the world, that is China and India, their populations really value gold. As a matter of fact, there's the, 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 the one, number one market for gold in the world, uh, I don't know if a lot of your listeners know this, is India. And that's because in India there's still a lot of arranged marriages. And to get married in India, you need a dowry. And so people actually use gold as the dowry proxy in India. So there's a huge demand for gold in India. And, of course, in China, people value gold too. So China is a big buyer of gold. So as long as those two countries are interested in gold, I think it bodes well for the stability of the price. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Valerie responded, and then I'll go ahead. Uh, no, I'm from Colorado, and, you know, the, the Molly Brown gold rush um, story and panning gold is really part of most of uh, Colorado and uh, young uh, childhood. And, um, 
you know, I always remembered, you know, gold, the dollar is going to go up and down, stocks are going to go up and down, but the gold is something you can hold in your hand, you can, you know, put it somewhere and for a day that you may need, and um, I don't know, I've always had gold, just because I feel like it's a good, it's a good way to um, diversify. I, I I think, Valerie, there's a lot of people who agree with you. Um, I think that's why gold has has generally held its value, and, and um, I, I think that a, a lot of people continue to feel that way. Again, if people in India and China feel that way, because there's roughly one half of the world's population living in those two countries, it's a pretty good indicator that gold will maintain a decent price. So we'll see. Great. Agreed. Go ahead, Lori. Thank you, sir. Yeah, sure. yeah you know, it, it's a um, – sorry, I have a bad cough. But it, it's an interesting, you know, topic, and, it, and it's really a – you know, what you're doing, especially – you know, if you don't mind me asking, I'm sure all the listeners want to know, how much acres do you own of this gold mine? Well, um, so so – in in Bougainville, Bougainville is 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 actually not Bougainville a small is where. Remind everybody. I know you said before when you were sure. on my show it was a remote island somewhere, but remind us where. Again. Yeah, it, it, sure. It's it, it, it's Bougainville. It's spelled B-O-U-G-A-I-N-V-I-L-L-E. It's geographically yeah. part of the Solomon Islands. Um, wow. Although Bougainville is not part of the country, the Solomon Islands. Yeah. It's part of the country of Papua New Guinea. It is the largest yes. island in the Solomon Islands, and those islands are about 1,700 miles northeast of Australia. So, again, uh, there, there was a lot of action there Good during time, World War II, and uh, that, that's where it is in the South Pacific. Yeah, Australia, huh, mate? Very nice. Yeah. Um, is- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny, but no, but that dude. So let me ask you. So you own how many gold mines do you own? Like how many fields do you own? One, two, three. You own multiple. No, right, right now we own two operating mines, and yep. and those mines are not large and expansive. Our operating mines are what's called uh, placer mines. In other words, they're in streams on uh-huh. the island of Bougainville. In central Bougainville, again, Bougainville is not a small island. It's about 100 miles long and 30 miles wide. In in central Bougainville, there's gold in pretty much every stream. In other words, you you can see people you can see people panning there. Now that that doesn't mean necessarily that you could put a bunch of equipment into those streams and make a lot of money because sometimes you know. Even though there's gold in the streams, you, you got to get it out. And I mean, if this was easy, everybody'd be doing it. And trust me, it, it's not easy. So, so right now we have two alluvial mines, but we're also uh, developing what are called exploration prospects, and those prospects are much larger. And they, the the rough size of that is about. 600 square kilometers, which is, you know, a, a large mountainous area in the island. 
Yeah. Well, Jesus Christ. So you have – so add it up, though. Like, land-wise, I mean, all of this put together, what would you say, 30 acres, 40 acres? Oh, no, no, no. Much, much, much larger than that. I mean, like a lot of square miles. Now, keep in mind, Rory – one thing that your listeners should understand, I mean, a lot of them are probably saying, well, heck, I think I'll go get a ticket and fly down to Bougainville and stake a claim. No one except a customary bona fide landowner of Bougainville can actually apply to mine gold on Bougainville. In other words, the resources belong to the locals. Now, who are the locals? They are chiefs and tribes. That, that's, that's who's lived there for a thousand years, and that's who lives there now. However, those, those chiefs and those local tribes can have mining partners, and that's what I am. Now, why would they cho- choose me to be a mining partner as opposed to somebody else on this radio show? Basically because I've lived there for three years, and they trust me. I mean that that's really mm-hmm. the answer. And and when I say I've lived there, I mean I've lived there. In other words, I'm I'm home. I'm happy to be in the United States. It's the greatest country on earth. I wish I could be here a lot, but that's that's where my business is in Bougainville, so I've lived there pretty much for the last 3 years and that's why I I've, I'm partners with some of the chiefs in these properties that I just mentioned. Right. God, this is God, Jesus, this is mind-blowing. I mean, you you have all these things, and, you know, the gold mine, I mean, is it what kind of – now, let me ask you this. How many employees do you have working for you right now in these gold mines overseas? Um, not a lot because, again, a lot of them are, 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 are people who work in the villages. Um, but I've got about uh, 30 direct employees, and the rest yeah. are villagers – who are there working for us on a day-to-day basis. And it's cheap labor, right? Very cheap? Uh, it, it is. I mean, uh, it, it's unbelievably cheap. I mean, just to give you an idea, very few people on Bougainville even wear shoes. I mean, just, just to give you an idea. Oh, I mean, Jesus there's, Christ. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you're talking about a very primitive place. Now, <clears throat> They're 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 hoping to change all that, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's emerging isn't even the word for it. it. It's it's a it's a primitive economy. Is it is it you know the place? Is it any sort of you know like uh, vacation spots? I mean, is there hotels? Is it nice water? I mean, is it anywhere or is it mostly just like a poor kind of area that needs to be re kind of refurbished uh, and re you know, redone? Yeah, that, that's that's a great question. Uh, look, it's an absolutely gorgeous part of the world. It's the South Pacific, after all. But but no, there, there's no there's no vacation spot on Bougainville today. There there's a couple of little guest cottages if you wanted to stay there, but there's no hotels. There's no restaurants. Only about eight percent of the island is even electrified. Okay, so so it, it's not developed now. I think one day it will be, and I can tell you this right now: you yes. want to see the most beautiful saltwater imaginable. Imaginable. You, you, you're, you're talking about Bougainville in the South Pacific. I mean, the people that come down there—they're generally coming down there 
to scuba and snorkel dive because the reefs and the fish and and the the natural habitat are are just spectacular. But uh, where are you going to stay? Uh, wh- what are you going to eat? Those that, that's yeah. a different subject. Now you know, and so so is it now? Would you describe it as a third world country? I mean, is it for the most part? I mean, in terms of restaurants, in terms of living, in terms of you know how everything's orchestrated in in that area. Uh, Rory, what I would I would call it a fourth world country. I mean, in other words, <laughs> wow, there, wow. There, there's oh, oh God, Jesus. It, 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 you're, you're talking about you know one of the most primitive places you'll you'll find now. Now, don't get me wrong, the people are really wonderful. They're highly oh, religious. Yeah, they're always sweet uh, over there. I can, they're always welcoming. Yeah. I know those places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I love your story. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, the, the people are nice now. Now there's there as I said, they're highly religious. Uh, there, there's there's basically two religious groups. About seventy percent of the people in Bougainville, and there's about three hundred thousand people there, are Catholic. Um, the other thirty nice. percent are religion, evangelical. Nice. Catholic so so a lot of people go to church on Sunday, and the rest of them go to church on Saturday. And people on Bougainville will walk five miles one way just to go to church. So it, you know, and and the church educates most of the people there, but right. it's definitely a fourth world country, if you will. No Holy hotels, shit, man. no restaurants. I mean, it's very primitive. No hotels, no restaurants. No, no, not 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 really. I mean, like I said, there, there's there's like, a like I know. Like here's the thing, and this is <laughs> I'm kind of gonna get a little funny a little bit, but like I know some of these people in these countries know how to cook really well. Have they ever cooked for you or anything? Um, they 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 cook, but but I'll I'll, I'll just be honest right now. I mean. Uh, it's 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 not. <laughs> how do you do your how do you do your food? meals? How do you do your meals? Do you prepack and everything? Yeah, you know, usually what I do, to be honest, is I take I go to the local camping store here, uh, which is called REI. It's a it's a great store. If any of your customers it's a great, know yeah, it, it's I love a, that store. <laughs> yeah, I, I go to REI and I load up my suitcase with uh, freeze dried meals. Wow. Wow. So how, and how long are you over? When all of this, Go ahead, Valerie. Uh-huh. When all of this um gold and and um uh, natural resources start to come out and the and the country begins to um modernize itself, how is this going to affect the population of the people? I mean, you know, is there any correlation between like the Indians in the United States and then the we came in and everything changed in terms of the, you know, modernizing the, the colony? Well, look, that's a great question, and, and let, let me just try and answer it. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Bougainville was the home of the, the largest and most lucrative gold and copper mine in the world from 1972 to 1989. So what what happened? Well, what happened is... Uh, that mine was controlled by one of the largest gold companies in the world, a company called Rio Tinto. Rio Tinto is a company listed in both England and Australia. It's, it's a, one of the top five natural resource companies in the world. 
And unfortunately, when this took place, the deal that they had with the locals, in other words, the chiefs and the tribes that, that live on Bougainville, kind of left the Bougainvillians out. And, and I, I, I don't really want to get into a lot of the economics, but they basically didn't get that much. And um, after a while, they felt abused. And, you know, when locals feel abused, uh, even though it, it may be a fourth world place, uh, they can react violently. And, and that's what happened 40 to 50 years ago. So now let's, let me try and answer your question. That is why today the resources can only be mined and controlled by locals because they don't want that to happen again. So what they want, Valerie, to answer your question what they want is for the economy to develop and for them to be in charge of of of, of its building and its growth and, and, and reap the dividends. Now, they understand that they need foreigners with technical and financial experience to come in and help them. The real issue is who do they trust? And and that you know, that, that goes on all over the world today. We all we all know that. But that that's what's happening on Bougainville. And I'm trying to work with these people to make sure that in the end they all prosper and there's a fair distribution of the benefits that come from this mining activity. Mm-hmm. So what now, Valerie, go ahead. I wanted you to continue your thoughts, and then I want to ask him something. Go ahead. Well, I just thought it was, you know, brilliant that you spent three years there because that's what it's about is the trust of the people. And when you spend time living with them, you know, they get to know you and you them. And I think that's what makes business good for everybody. Are there other people doing what you're doing, you know, that are just staying there and getting to know the people? Yeah, you know, Valerie, you're right. I mean, building that trust is absolutely what it takes. And and this, this, I don't know if this is going to surprise you or not, but, but the, the answer is no. There, there's really not a lot of, let's say, foreigners like me doing what I'm doing. And, and the answer That's is, amazing. well, the answer, you know, as, as and, much and, and as you know, detailed, all these riches detailed, are there. To be detailed real quick with what you're doing in regards to your gold mining, correct? Yeah, yeah. There, there's, 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 there's not... A lot of people. There's a couple, there's, but there's there's not a lot of people doing what I'm doing. And the answer is, think of it. And I'm sure all of your your listeners are saying this to themselves. I mean, who We're, wants to yep. spend three years in a place with <laughs> no hotels, no right. no restaurants, no no food, no running yeah. water, no toilets? Right. I mean, it, it's 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 not exactly fun some sometimes people might even say it's more like jail but if you're going to get to the point where the people are going to trust you and say yeah i want you to be my partner that's what you have to do yeah and and just and just to remind everybody you know we have listeners now in 14 different countries so 14 so all these different people are listening to what you're saying um, you know, John, and, you know, it, you know, you really are, you know, I think what you're doing is fantastic, and I really think you found a niche. You found a perfect market that is perfectly suitable uh, and is highly lucrative. And, I, you know, 
I know people don't like to talk about numbers. You know, um, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna let Tim. I'm gonna let my buddy Tim, who's on the line, he's got a couple questions for you. Tim, go ahead. Hi. So I just uh, called in, so I wasn't listening prior. So uh, I'm actually a financial advisor, and actually I run a self-directed IRA company. So I'm, uh, you know, I've got most of my clients have gold positions or gold miners. And one of the questions I had was. Just generally across the board, what's, what does it cost right now to like mine an ounce of gold? Because I, I know it's probably got to be getting pretty close to the actual price of gold. And I uh, just wanted to see like how much of a spread there was right now. Sure. Uh, hi, Tim. Uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a good question. And of course, um, since since gold is is yielding on the London about twelve hundred dollars an ounce, you know the the the, the whole idea is. To mine an ounce of gold, hopefully, will cost a whole lot less. And of course, that's actually not always true. As a matter of fact, uh, if you follow any gold companies, you know that there's a lot of gold companies out there that have uh, uh, located resources, but at today's price of $1,200 an ounce, it doesn't make a lot of sense to bring this stuff up out of the ground. Now, what makes Bougainville different? What makes Bougainville different is, first of all, I'm going to tell you that the, the price to extract an ounce of gold in Bougainville is, is below the world market level of $1,200 an ounce. So why aren't there a lot of people there? Well, um, I've already given you the answer, and you guys probably know it yourself. The so-called political risk outweighs the attractiveness of the fact that, you know, uh, gold is extractable on Bougainville for much less than, than the current market levels. And that scares off certainly all of the world's larger mining companies. What they say is, well, look what happened to Rio Tinto in 1989, uh, people started blowing up the mining equipment and they shut the mine down. That could happen again. And you know what? They're, they're right. I mean, it could happen again. So why is it that I'm there and why am I comfortable taking that risk? That, that's, that's what the three years are about. You, you've got to invest the three years to get comfort that the chiefs and the tribes that you're working with won't shut you down. Now, does that guarantee that because I've had a good three-year experience that it won't happen in year four? Absolutely not, but, but it, it's given me a good feeling. But to answer your question, uh, it is profitable to extract an ounce of gold in Bougainville, and I think it will be profitable going forward, but that's not the only cost. The other cost is you know, the so-called political risk question. Kim, go ahead. Thank you. And I was also, I was also wondering, I was also wondering, just like, like generally, as like not necessarily your gold mine, but in a like in the broader sense, like you know what the cost is, uh, just like across the board, like like for everybody, like roughly, uh, what the cost is, like closer to like a thousand dollars an ounce, like like industry wide, not asking you to give away any of your your own secrets or anything. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I can't give away the cost. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that. But, but like I say, it, it's profitable right now to mine gold on Bougainville. 
Uh, also, it depends a lot on what kind of technology you're using. And, and yeah. right now, we're using very simple technology on Bougainville. That is not necessarily the, the direction we're going. Right now, we're involved in studying uh, a lot of different opportunities on Bougainville, and we would employ different types of technology or mining processes, but we're not doing that today. So right now, we're using very simple technology, but it's still enabling us to make money. Okay. And yeah. Another, another yeah go ahead, go ahead noticed, Tim. Uh, so I don't know if it was yesterday or two days ago, the price of gold uh, was down at a tiny bit, but then I noticed that the price of the gold miners seems like they took like an absolute bath. And it just seems like there's been like a really big disconnect between the price of gold and then the gold mining stocks. And, um, I mean, so right now, I mean, do you think there's probably more price appreciation potential in the actual gold mining stocks themselves as like an industry versus holding on to the gold? It seems like there's some, you know, obviously the price of gold affects the gold mining stocks, but it sounds like, it seems like there's just like a huge disconnect between the, the stock prices of all these gold miners versus the price of gold. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me put it this way. I mean, you are absolutely correct that there's a huge difference between, let's say, the intrinsic value of, let's say, an ounce of gold and the prospects of a gold mining company. I would say that in general, uh, mining companies, but and in particular, gold mining companies, have have been. Uh, on the downside, in other words, they've been out of favor now for close to 10 years. And I'm not sure that's going to change anytime soon. Now, why is that? <laughs> I think it's because of what I was just talking about. Uh, most of the gold that one can find in the United States, Valerie mentioned Colorado, in Alaska, in, in let's say, Places that are in the so-called West or the developed countries, as we all know, most of that gold has, has been mined. It's gone. Most of the gold today is in these kind of wild West places, places like Bougainville or countries in Indonesia, places like that where there's high political risks. And I think the market in general have, has decided that it's not worth that risk. That is also why I think gold as a, as a commodity has been trending down, although not at the same direction as the mining companies. I think the mining companies have been taking it on the chin for 10 years, and I'm not sure that's over. Why has gold maintained a certain level? Well, I mentioned about uh, five or ten minutes ago, the two largest countries in the world, that is India and China, the populations value gold highly. And so even though the mining companies are out of favor, I think the commodity of gold has maintained a certain uh, value because of issues of supply and demand. But everything turns around, as we know, in the market. So when most people think it's time to sell, my inclination is it's, what, time to buy, Right. And so I think yeah. right now is actually a great time to get into this business because things always turn around, and, and I'm hopeful that will 
happen in, in the gold business as well. Very well said. Yeah, Can no, you want to respond? Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, I completely agree because I'm a contrarian investor. So, you know, when, when everyone wants, wants in, it's usually a good time to be out. And when people want to be out, it's usually a good time to be in. But uh, it seems like another common – I don't really agree with, like, the average economist out there who seems to think that the interest rates going up is bad for gold. And, and so in my mind, I sort of think that interest rates going up means there's a greater chance of the U.S. government, you know, not being able to fund its obligations or having to print a bunch of money in order to fund future obligations. And I wanted to get your take on if you agree with a traditional economist uh, where, where they think that interest rates going up is bad for gold in the long term, where I, I sort of think it's, I think it sort of like almost emboldens my my love for gold because it, it means that we're that much closer to not being able to fund obligations. And I think it was in the in the 70s, you had, uh, you know, interest, or sorry, early 80s, interest rates were going up, and you still had, you know, the price of gold going up as well. So I just want to see if you could respond to that. Yeah, um, I think the general consensus these days is total confusion about what what you're just talking about. In other words, there doesn't seem to be any correlation anymore between things like interest rates or the value of a U.S. dollar in the foreign exchange market versus gold. There used to be a kind of correlation, but but today there doesn't seem to be one. In other words, a lot of people are confused as why gold is, 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 is going down or at least not going up when interest rates are, are going up. Because in the old days, there, there was a more direct correlation. So uh, I think it's very dangerous to, to, to hang your hat on, let's say, historical patterns. Because gold just defies expectations. It, it, it always seems to get back to what Valerie was saying a little earlier which is, you know, if you talk to somebody who's really rich out there, I mean, like really rich, like a Warren Buffett, you get to or the point Donald where Donald J. Trump, the king, the, our king, the <laughs> you get to the point America. where you've 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 got a huge portfolio of of of, of equities, you got another huge portfolio of bonds, you've got some real estate, you've got all all the asset classes, and then you start saying. Well, what happens if if somebody tries to take this away from me? And generally speaking, those people have found that it, it helps to load up with gold, and and that's what's made gold an attractive, let's say, hedge for some of your money. I think that will continue. But to answer your question, Tim, about the correlation, I personally don't know what the correlation is, and I think today a lot of economists are confused about it as well. All right. No, I agree. Thank you for answering that. I don't want to hog all the, all the questions in case anybody else has No, Tim, Tim, keep, but, go, uh, Tim, Tim, keep going. You're a financial guy. I want you to ask. Come on, man. Go ahead. Uh, okay, I guess another one would be, it seems like cause I'm in the you know, libertarian space and you know, a lot, obviously a lot of gold bugs in the part of the Ron Paul movement, which is pretty big on gold, to say the least. But now what you're seeing is you get a, a pretty big mix of people now who – uh, they're also adding 
cryptocurrencies to the mix as well. And it seems like there's some people that think, you know, it, it has to be gold. There's other people that think it has to be crypto. I'm sort of in the mix of I'd like to have some crypto and some gold and some stocks. Uh, I just want to see if you have any, like, personal thoughts on crypto because I think some of the – it seems like some of the trends are the millennials, you know, starting, starting to view, like, Bitcoin as, as like, a, as their version of gold, whereas it's sort of like the older crowd who is uh, kind of holding on to gold. And I'm saying that as a gold fan and as a crypto fan, but I just want to see if you have any thoughts on cryptocurrencies and if maybe they've taken some of the luster uh, from gold. Well, you know, um, on cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and things like that, my, my personal take is, is, is somewhat like uh, Mr. Warren Buffett's, which is, you know, for years uh, he, he didn't invest in technology companies because he said he, he didn't understand them. Now he's a, a huge sh- shareholder of Apple, as we all know, so he's, he's entitled to change his mind, and I suppose if there's any tech company one could change one's mind about it, it would, it would probably be Apple. But but I'm going to use the same plea. I mean, I'm personally not going to put my money in something that I don't think I really understand the fundamentals on. And I just don't understand enough about Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies to, to put my money there. That's, you know, very yeah. simple. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but, but until somebody can convince me I know everybody. everything about those things, I'm, I'm not going to put my dough there. Yeah, it's not for everybody. And, and you know what I've noticed is that the, you know, uh, I've noticed that the older kind of crowd is kind of more skeptical about uh, crypto and they don't kind of, I think they, uh, you know, I, and I want to really ask you something very important. And I wanted to get to this. And I think everybody probably wants to hear this question is how do you define, I mean, obviously we know the difference, but there's a lot of similarities between the crypto market, the gold market, and the stock market. You've, you've pretty much lived through all of them. I mean, you, are, you, know, you, li- you, knew, you knew a lot about Wall Street. You've worked with people on Wall Street. You know a lot about stocks. How do you compare that with gold, and how do you compare that with crypto? And, you know, obviously there's, there's answers that are easy to find, but it, it, there's a lot of similarities. So can, do you know what I'm trying to say? Can you kind of elaborate? Sure. Um, let me put it this way, you know, um, before I went to business school, I, I was an art major. I, I went to Georgetown University. Uh, I got my degree. Great school. In sculpture great school. Congratulations. Congratulate. Great school, man. <laughs> well, thank you. Hey, so hey, I, hey, I, I went I to thought, Georgetown. I, I, I got my degree in, 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 in fine arts. And then yeah. actually when I graduated, I went to the University of Chicago, and I got my Master of Fine Arts, and, and I taught sculpture and drawing to undergraduates at the University of Chicago. So so I, I'm about as far away as you can get from somebody who has like a hard-edged education, you know, like let's say medicine or, or business or something like that. I, I then went to a business school and I was able to get an MBA and found my way down to Wall Street. And what I learned about markets, and now I'm going to try and answer your question, really surprised me and that is that in the end all markets whether it's the stock market the bond market the gold market whatever they're all about psychology they're they're not about numbers at all they're about psychology you're absolutely right yeah so 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 
what what you have to understand in any market you're in is what is the psychology. So, for example, uh, you know, to 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 to, to try and make a, a crude example, I've I've taken six companies public from from the concept that I came up with to to getting them listed on a major stock exchange like the New York Stock Exchange. What I can tell you is that in order to do that, you need to know a whole lot more about psychology than you do about like like math and numbers and finance. Now, certainly Absolutely. the numbers have to add up, okay? But what I'm saying yeah. is what what are people interested in? What do they think is a place that they want to put their money? What does it take to make them comfortable that you're going to be a good steward of their funds? And 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 basically how does that market work? And and today, for example, I think the psychology in the stock market, I don't think I've seen it this good since the 1980s and, and even in the 1980s i, I don't think it was this good i mean way but way better than then even i mean do you now let let's talk now i, I, I didn't want to interrupt you because you were on a good roll right there but i do want to talk to you about the stock market how great it is right sure. after you continue with what you're saying sorry no no that, that's okay so so i i just think you know if if you're if you've got a great concept for a company today and you could list it anywhere, you could list it on the Hong Kong, you could list it on the London, I think you'd be foolish not to list it on the New York, in other words, the number one stock exchange in the U.S., because the U.S. market is so buoyant and people yeah. are, in general, so enthused. Now, that, that doesn't mean you could list a buggy maker on the New York Stock Exchange, of course. It'd have to be the right company. But to answer your question, I think in the end, markets yeah. are driven by psychology. And so it's, yeah. it's understanding the psychology that's as important as anything. Right. And, and do you, you know, do you see eventually, and I know they're trying to talk about this, and, and you've been around this environment, Wall Street and stock markets for many years, do you see crypto uh, uh, merging with the stock market eventually? I mean, do you see that happening uh, from what your experience is and your expertise? You know, I, I, I just honestly, I just don't know. I just don't know enough about it. Um, it's it's one of those things where I said I, I, I don't know enough, so I'm not going to invest in it. So I really am no expert. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't answer your question because I'm just not knowledgeable. Right. Valerie, I want you to respond, and then I and then I want Tim, and then I got uh, a few more a few more things for John before he uh, let him go. So it's interesting because you know for for centuries um, gold has been important, and now we have this crypto idea, and you know it's almost like that's the future if if that happens, and but I, but yet I don't think we're willing to let go of the past either. It's almost like it's another crypto is another way of diversifying. And for me, I just feel like I want to have a little bit of everything just in case um, because there's so many um, stocks that I wish I had one, <laughs> one share, you know, 20, 30 years ago or whatever, and then I would be rich. 
So I feel like if I just get my hands dabbling a little here and there, um, maybe, you know, maybe I'll hit something good. Um, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like you are all in on the gold, and so you're taking the opposite um, kind of strategy that I'm I'm thinking of. Um, what do you advise, like, the young people, like, the you know, the, those coming out of college, um, where should they go with regard to their, their modest money? Good question. Well, let, let me put it this way, Valerie. Um, b- before, you know, let's talk about young people. Before they have money to invest, they got to make some money, right? So, so what I would say is, you know, for anybody who's young and listening, I mean, I, I can tell you that um, – that the way to make money is to figure out whether or not someone is going to buy the product that you're selling, whether you're creating a company to make and distribute that product or whether you're working someplace. And if, if, if you don't think somebody's going to buy the product, change it and fix it so that someone will for a fair price. Now, that sounds incredibly simplistic, but let me assure you, it really isn't, okay? The, the biggest challenge that anybody faces in business is to get someone to give them the money, okay? That, that, that's really what I'm talking about. What does it take for someone to give you the money? And of course, I'm talking about legal means. I'm not talking about illegal means. <laughs> And when, when you start thinking that through, whether you're somebody working for a software company or you, you might want to put together a software company, you end up thinking about what I told you, which is, okay, would somebody buy this product? And if not, how could I make it better? And, and, and to me, th- those things are crucially important. I mean, for example, for any young people listening, you, you probably think – that if you're going to start your own company, it's got to be some kind of Internet-related, high-tech company. Nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, of course, everybody's reading about all these huge successes, whether it's you know, Google or Facebook or Amazon. The, the, those, those, are, those are the popular companies of today. They're not necessarily going to be the popular companies of tomorrow. So, so starting a company is all about figuring out, is this product going to be successful? Is someone going to buy it? And more importantly, can I get a potential shareholder to buy a share of stock so I can build this company? I mean, that's, that's really the way to focus on how to make money. But before you, before you get to the point where you want to put some of your investment aside. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, Well said. Well said. Tim, go ahead, and then I'm going to ask something. Well, I like where everything was going until you said you were a Georgetown graduate. I'm from Syracuse, New York, so I was a big big rival there. uh, Big basketball basketball rivalry, sure. Yep. Uh, No, I just want to make one one comment, uh, because I am pretty pretty deeply entrenched into into the crypto world. And actually, just one second, I'm just getting off my Bluetooth. Uh, so in terms of the stock market, and I know 
uh, Rory made a comment about the stock market and crypto merging, but there actually is a what, what sort of sold crypto on me was not the and I've been into this for a while was not uh, the fact that people are trading fake money back and forth. It wasn't really what you know excited me. It was all these decentralized applications, and actually one of these applications is a company out there where it's uh, Patrick Byrne of Overstock.com. What he's doing with one of his subsidiaries is the company is called T Zero, and what they're doing is the transaction is actually the settlement. So you could tokenize a stock. So instead of buying Apple stock like you buy it today, you can buy a token that represents Apple. And on these exchanges, you can trade the stock, and it would trade immediately. And eventually what could happen, and this would take a lot of regulatory hurdles for this to occur, and this is not going to be anytime soon, is uh, two people could then bypass the exchanges altogether and trade a token with each other, but that token then represents a stock. And so there's a lot of other really interesting applications that are much bigger than the crypto space. So I just wanted to make that quick. Uh, I don't know if it was that quick of a comment, but uh, no, I don't really have too much. I know I've hogged a lot of your, your insight into all this. Well, thanks. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, it, it's, it's incredible because, you know, all the things you've done and, you, you know, you've done a lot of, you know, various things. And I wanted to get to the stock market part where you said it's at the all time high. You know, you look at what the, it's the, the economy is the best it's probably ever been. <clears throat> Stock markets are at all time highs. And look, I mean, we have, look who we have to thank for that. President Donald J. Trump. I mean, I mean, I know you're a fan, John. I mean, uh, can you explain the, how much of a miracle worker he is? I mean, I, mean, I think, I think most of us feel that way. Well, um, my, my view is uh, Mr. Trump has done three things that have contributed greatly to to this stock market, and and, and I don't I don't think uh, the direction of the market is is frivolous, and and I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. There are going to be obvious fundamental effects of things like money supply and interest rates and inflation rates to the direction of the market. But the three things that I think Mr. Trump has done that have positively affected the market is, number one, uh, he's eliminated a lot of the presidential regulation yep. that was imposed on the country by uh, former President Obama. Now, these, these are, re- these are regulations call. that were choking small business, uh, generally speaking. Yes, and I mean, when we're some talking, of it was, you're talking about things like Dodd-Frank, right? I'm, I'm talking about Dodd-Frank. I'm talking about all kinds of regulations that he's rolled back by presidential decree that, that, that should be rolled back because they were enabled and, and enacted by President Obama without the, the benefit of consideration by Congress or legislation, et cetera. And th- those regulations were stifling small business in America. And, and so and he, I think President Trump is continuing to eliminate those regulations, and I think that's making Main Street, not Wall Street, but Main Street euphoric. I mean, you, I've talked to small businessmen around the United States while I've been home, and 
they, they've, they're saying they, they haven't seen days like this for 20, 30, 40 years. That, that's the first thing. I think the second thing it might surprise you in terms of what I say, and that is that uh, one of the things that Mr. Trump has done very successfully, I, I don't think anybody would argue with this, is he's changed uh, the, the, the judgeships. Uh, he's, he's put into place something like 60 judges, uh, all of them relatively conservative, as, as you can imagine, and I think that's given business leaders in general a very good feeling about where the economy is going and how much they're going to be restricted in the future. And, and so I think a, a, an atmosphere of fiscal conservatism is, is very good for the U.S. economy. And I think uh, a lot of the judgeships that Mr. Trump has, has filled – with appropriate judges are, are very helpful. I think the third thing that he's done is basically, we talked about this a little, Rory, on, on the last show I was on. You know, when we won World War II, we were the last man standing. I mean, let's face it. I mean, no, nobody else had a pot to piss in. And, of course, we enacted a, a series of agreements around the world, whether it was the Marshall Plan or what became the World Trade Organization or other things, we enacted a series of agreements to help the world get back on its feet. And those agreements were a good thing for the world as it was back then. The problem is that our political leaders didn't adjust those agreements. And I'm talking about things like tariffs and, and that type of thing. They, they didn't adjust those things as the world changed, and they should have. So, so clearly, Mr. Trump is doing his best to adjust those things, and I think it's sending a very strong signal, not just to Main Street and Wall Street here in America, but I think to our trading partners that we're not going to be pushed around anymore. And I think that's really fueling a, a long-term growth in, in, in our economy that's, you know, could be years in the making. Yeah, and let, let me ask you, where do you see gold in the next five years? One of our one of our live listeners wanted to, had a question in and wanted to ask that. Where do you see that? Well, look, I, I'm going to tell you, in terms of my mining business, I don't care if it stays right where it is, and, and I, I actually don't approach my business, and I've never approached any business I've been in, by looking at the market for my commodity in, in the pages of the Wall Street Journal. So one answer is I see it staying where it is. However, let me give you and, and your listener another answer. So what do I do? So Price-wise, price you say – seeing it stay the same within the next five year mark you don't see it changing uh i th that's that's one answer what i would say rory but but here's another one so yeah. when i mine gold on bougainville i i generally sell it to the perth mint which is a buyer in australia uh my my customer uh on the other end of my contract tells me that most of the gold that the Perth Mint refines gets bought by the government of China. 
Okay, and what that tells me, and and here's another answer for your caller who asked about the price of gold over the next five years. Yeah, I, I would say China is a lot like that billionaire that I talked about a little earlier, where you know they've got a portfolio of assets, and they get they have to denominate some of those assets in gold, and and the fact that China is buying so much gold from the Perth Mint tells me that maybe gold is going to go up uh, because, again, supply-demand governs price. And if you look at the 10 largest gold deposits in the world, uh, they're, they're going down, and the cost of getting that gold out of the ground is going up. Very well said. I mean, very well said. It's, and, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, you know it's, a, it's kind of like a, uh, it's an up and down, uh, rig, it's a rigmarole. It's a uh, up and down, you know, there, there's you know, a lot of inconsistency, but, you know, I mean, that's just how it, it, the cookie crumbles. But, you know, I hope for more consistency from a lot of these different markets. But, Valerie, go ahead. Um. I don't know. I mean, how much of all of this, these decisions are really quantifiable? I mean, I was talking with my son this afternoon, and we were saying, you know, how much of it is really gambling versus, you know, statistics? And I, I, I thought your comment about um, people, you know, watching people and psychology um, versus numbers was really um, insightful. Um, the problem is, you know, if it's something like Tesla and you're dealing with Elon Musk, the psychology is a lot more difficult, more difficult to, um, to decipher. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out what, what the best way to interpret following psychology would be. You, you know, Valerie, uh, what I would say is all investments, unfortunately – have an aspect of gambling to them. Uh, again, because markets don't really depend on the numbers or the fundamentals. They, they depend on psychology as well. So, uh, you know, somebody could purchase a, a portfolio of very conservative stocks, but let's face it, right now the Dow Jones price earnings multiple is very high. It's in the high teens low 20s that that means that that for every dollar generated by the Dow Jones industrial average company people are willing to pay $20 to, to own that stock now i can tell you that when the markets crash and the crash of 87 or the crash of of 1929 etc you know, you, you could buy uh, Dow Jones-type shares for five times earnings, six times earnings, eight times earnings. So th th that tells you it's, it's the same companies. It's just a psychology change. So what, what I would say uh, is, again, you know, when I went to business school, I had this brilliant uh, professor. He, he was a professor of, of production, and, and – he and a team of mathematicians, he was a mathematician from the University of Chicago, which is a, a very intellectual school, and he and a bunch of uh, mathematicians won the Nobel Prize for mathematics. So this, this was a very smart guy, 
and and we had to you know do our cases with him and go in and discuss the cases and he had a saying that i i thought kind of sums it up he said when you don't want to think do numbers i think think about that, that that's coming that's coming like from that. a mathematician what what is he like saying that. what is what he's saying is when you've got to do some analysis you can either think or you can push the numbers around. You can try and get the numbers to justify your theory or your reason for buying or your reason not to buy. But what he's saying is that that's not really what you should be doing. You, sh- you should be using right. your head and focusing on other things. And so, you know, my view of the markets is, again, it, it, it's some of the stuff we've talked about. It's, it's not necessarily the numbers and, and, the, the numbers are always going to be fungible, and you can push them around, and they don't necessarily mean you're going to be right or wrong. Right. Thank you. Great answer. Right. Yeah. And, when you, know, you it, don't want great. to think, do numbers. I mean, it's one of my favorite statements. Yeah, and, yeah, great. you know, I mean, you're, you're, a, you're an economist kind of guy. You're an economics you know, expert for the most part. You know your you know your stuff very well. I mean, look at the GDP right now. We're at four point two. I mean, it's, I mean that's unbelievable. I mean, we're at we're in living in the best economy ever. I mean, we have the lowest unemployment since nineteen sixty nine. I mean, let's think that in nineteen sixty nine. Trump did that within one year. I mean, we're seeing all of this stuff. All of these companies you know, doing all of their business here in the USA now for the most part. We see all of these new investments. I mean, we see all of these new countries abiding by what Trump says and paying their fair share. It go on and on. I mean, we see so much positivity going back into our economy and so much benefit and things that we lost for so long. And we have all these lucrative opportunities to look forward to now. Yeah, we do. It's 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 a great time to be part of the greatest company in the world. It really is, and you know, I uh, you know, I really think you're you're fascinating. And and your book, please tell everybody what your book describes. You have a very good book out right now, and I think that's very important to talk about because it really gets into specifics and it really you know shows the details of you know some of the things in the market and some of what you're you know kind of things you're going through. Well, sure. Th- thank you for the opportunity to do that. So, so uh, it, it, the, my book is, an, is a novel. It, it's called South of the Clouds. It's my third novel. Uh, you can look for it in a bookstore, but as everybody knows, Amazon sells 50% of all Amazon the books in America. Up. Yeah, so, so it, it's, it's on Amazon. Again, it's called South of the Clouds. What's, what's it about? Well, first of all, uh, south of the Clouds is the name of a region in the foothills of the Himalayas, where the southwestern corner of China meets Burma. Some, some people call it Myanmar today, but uh, either Burma or Myanmar is, is acceptable as, as the name of the country. And um, I owned a silicon smelter right yep. on the Burma Road, which is famous from uh, World War II, about five miles north of the Sino-Burmese border. And a silicon smelter is something that melts quartz and mixes it with charcoal, and what comes out of that 
uh, electric furnace at about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit is uh, silicon, which can be used to make semiconductor chips as well as photovoltaic cells for solar cells. So, so I owned the largest silicon smelter in China in that location, and we had a huge fleet of trucks that we used to get quartz out of the quarries and also to go over the border into Burma to get charcoal because there's no hardwood left in China. And what I learned one day was that my men who were operating those trucks were using my trucks to smuggle jade over the Sino-Burmese border. Why? Because uh, the finest jade in the world comes from north northern Burma, a city called Hapakan. Uh, it, it's a couple hundred miles over the Burmese border. So my guys were going over there and using my trucks to smuggle jade. So I wrote the novel about that. So so that's that's what the story is about. And uh, you know, it's uh, I think it's a a pretty interesting story in an area right now that is uh, uh, I would say the Wild West. <laughs> it's also uh, where some of your listeners might might know is is the Golden Triangle. In other words, there's a lot of drug trafficking down there as well. And there's also and this goes. Uh, this this is part of the theme of the book. There's a lot of uh, female trafficking as well. Now, what's that all about? Well, it's about people buying and selling women, unfortunately. Now, now, why would that be the case in a place like Burma? Because, as I mentioned, it's right on the Chinese border, and a lot of your listeners may know this, but some of you may not. China's got a real problem in terms of the female population because, as people may know, since about 1976 uh, until very recently, families were only allowed one child. So let's say in China you had a boy, you might be happy, but a lot of people, if they had a girl, decided they didn't want a girl. Well, you know, we, you know what happened, Okay. So as a result, China, which has about 1.4, 1.5 billion people, has 200 million more men than women. Okay, well, you know, nature taking the course that it does, what are those guys going to do? I mean, they've got to they've find a wife or a spouse or a mate somewhere, and that leads to trafficking over borders like the Sino-Burmese border, so so that's what that's what the book's about, and and it's a, it's a thriller, and I hope some of your listeners might 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 enjoy it. Absolutely, and I know they will. And you know, you really you really have led a fascinating life. I mean, you know, you've done so much. You've been involved with so many different projects. I mean, you've studied so many markets so thoroughly anywhere from the stock market to the real estate market to all these different venture capital, uh, you know, projects. I mean, you've, you know, you've done a lot. I mean, besides the gold mining stuff, have you, what other kind of stuff have you invested in? Cause I know you've done a lot of investment in various, uh, businesses and I never really talked to you about that in detail. Well, um, um, 
I, I mentioned silicon uh, smelting just a second ago. Yeah, that no, uh, I, I, know, I, I know invested. That, one. that was one of the ones I knew about, but I know you do yeah. a lot of a bunch of other stuff. But but I I one of the reasons I got interested in silicon smelting is because I have a lot of experience investing in in the solar energy area, and yeah. and solar is is in particular an area that I think is going to be. Uh, I, I think the, the I think the whole solar industry is just starting as as widespread. You like solar? Like it, you? Now let me ask you real quick. I don't want I want to interrupt you slightly, but then sure. I want to keep you keep go, you to keep going. But what do you think about California having mandatory solar panels for all houses? Well, you know they have the same thing in Israel. They have the same same thing in southern Spain. I mean. The, 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 as, as you probably know, Roy, what, what they're trying to do in California, it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. I just want to point out what they've decided there is they want to get off of uh, everything except re- for renewables for, for electric power generation. And, and, and again, I don't want to get into whether somebody believes in coal or not, but I can tell you. I do. That in my experience, I've been in, in business for roughly 40 years. And as I mentioned, I came into business in the project finance department believe of a place or, called believe Solomon Believe it or not, I believe, I believe in both of them slightly. I believe in coal and I believe in solar in certain ways. Okay, but well, go that's ahead, fair. You know what? Because yeah. we're going to actually need, we're gonna need both of them. Because solar, as you know, is, is intermittent and coal is baseload. So whether it's coal or gas, I mean, you need base loads. So anyway, my point is, look, when you're talking about electric power production, there's really only one thing to talk about, and it just gets back to what I was saying to Valerie a few minutes ago. Look at your product and figure out what it costs and how to make it better. In the electric business, it's all about one thing. What is the price per kilowatt hour at which you can generate a kilowatt hour. Well, what does it cost? And that cost is going to be a function of your capital costs and your operating costs. And let's put it this way. Solar power has very little operating costs. We all know that. It's just basically the sun shining. So the biggest issue for years was the capital cost was just too high. Okay. Well, it is no longer an issue. The capital cost of solar is now way below the capital cost of a coal plant or even a gas plant, okay? So, so, so solar is very attractive. However, we've just started in the solar business. Why? Because all of the solar panels that are commercially made in the world whether they're being made in the U.S. or whether they're being made in China, they're all based on silicon. The, the same thing that I was just talking about with my smelter, that, that, that silicon comes from melting quartz with carbon to, to make silicon, and then you, you refine it in various ways, and you end up putting it in photovoltaic cells for solar panels. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you and your readers. That is not the best medium to make solar power with. There's other non-silicon materials that are much more viable than silicon. Silicon is brittle. It's expensive. And so when the world starts turning to those other materials, which is not going to be so long from now, 
the cost of solar is even going to go down further. So to answer your question, that's one of the things I've invested in that I really believe in. Yeah, wow, wow. Um, yeah, the solar panels is something, you know, I, I, Valerie, I know you had thoughts on the whole solar panel thing. Go ahead, and then I want to ask some things. Go ahead. Well, I think, you know, here in Maryland, where I am, um, the, the government you're, you're, is trying to You're basically in D.C. I mean, you, you're, you used to work yeah. for Reagan. You're, well, you're basically in D.C. Yeah, I'm just outside D.C. But hey, hey, Valerie. The government. Valerie, I grew yeah? up in Tacoma Park. Oh wow. Okay, so we're not so far <laughs> apart. Right. Twenty minutes. Um, right. But the government here is trying to encourage solar panels on everybody's house. Um, but on the other hand, um, it might, depending, I guess, on how it's done and what your roof looks like, they're saying it lowers the um, the value of your home. Um, so I guess it's a wash. I don't know, but I mean, I see, I see the point. But I, I, um, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe you can educate me. Well, Valerie, I, I don't think the government should be able to tell us uh, right. that that we need to, that we need to put solar on our and that's on our what roof. Pisses okay. Me off. And you're going you're you're going into a topic which I agree with you on. I mean. Basically, what California is saying right now, I mean, we see all the, you know, I mean, you're, you're no ghost, um, you know, uh, uh, you're no ghost. You know what's going on in California, um, John, and, and it's ridiculous. It's one of those things where um, they are literally uh, putting orders on people. I mean, they want to give illegal aliens free health care. They want to give all of this welfare and, you know, uh, compensation to people that don't work. I mean, they, I mean, people are leaving California by the numbers that are successful business people because they don't want to deal with all of this rigmarole. But, but the whole fact that California is basically putting orders, like government orders in their state that you have to have solar panels, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty messed up. I mean, it's one thing to choose to do it for the environment and, and have your own choice. But at the same time, like that's like dictatorship. I mean, there's no other state doing that right now. I'm basically making orders. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think, I think the and reason California, people are leaving real California, quick, real quick, real quick, California, I've always said is like a third world country. It's not even the United States anymore. The kind of laws they allow and what they, enable and what they encourage and all the illegals and all of the uh, needles on the ground on all the, in all their cities and all the disgusting feces on the ground. I mean, I could go on and on and we got all these, the biggest food stamps, biggest welfare count. I mean, they got so many problems in that state. They got the highest taxes. I mean, it's disgusting. It's either you're rich or poor in that state. There's no middle class anymore in California. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that that's why a lot of people are leaving, and a lot of people are leaving. Uh, I I think that you know it's, you have to make a decision now. Now Arizona, I, I know, is not that way. But, that's but where let, I let's live, talk buddy. About Best what? Hey, Arizona, that's where I live. Best state yeah. in the United States. Best weather. <laughs> I mean, best things surrounding you. Best place to be. I think it's heaven on earth. I encourage everyone, and you know what? 
a lot of people have moved down here. The uh, population just keeps growing. Uh, I think last, like last year, it's grown since last year by like 1.4 million. So now I think we're over 5 million people. We're almost to 6 million people in, in Phoenix, just in Phoenix. But Arizona alone, you have about 8 or 9 million people, the state by itself. But, I mean, people yep. keep moving here, man. This is the place to be because you have – and all these businesses keep relocating here, you know, because they're getting the best tax, um, you know, situations. They're getting the best, you know, financial uh, aspects of, of what they want to get done. And you can't get that in places like California anymore or, or these places. And, you know, also, you know, there's an alternative like Nevada, like Las Vegas. But, you know, there, there's certain things. But go ahead. Sorry. Well, what, what I was going to say is I know that because, by the way, the, the solar company that I, that I was involved with, it's located yeah. right in, in Scottsdale. So I, I was there I a whole lot. It's a beautiful place. place. But but also, yeah. let, let me point out, I mean, what you're saying is, is right. I mean, people are coming to Arizona. But what's, what's the thing, what's the commodity right now in Arizona that is the most valuable and the commodity that people are are going to be arguing about, you know, for the for the real next estate, you get real years estate, and decades, you get it's water. Free, okay, real I mean, it's water, it's water because water. As everybody knows, Arizona has been living off of the aquifers that are deep down below the ground. I mean, all those Rocky Mountains. When the rain hits those mountains, it runs down a slope and it fills up, or it used to fill up. Those aquifers, okay, and and today, as as you know, Rory, because some some of those aquifers are running out of water. So as you are probably aware, in in Arizona right now, let's say that all of us on the phone here wanted to put together a real estate development in Arizona and put up a hundred houses, okay, and and given given the growth trends, Rory, that you just cited. That would probably yeah. be a pretty good investment. There's one catch really that you probably yep. know. If yep. we're going to put up those houses, we've got to find a source of water before we can put a spade in the ground. And, yep. and all I'm saying is, again, if, if you go to Israel or southern Spain, here's what happened. They, yeah. they ran out of money for putting up power plants. <laughs> they, they just couldn't afford it. Okay, so they they said, hey, before you build a new development, you got to show us where the electricity is coming from. Now, if you could build a gas fired plant, more power to you. Okay, but but all I'm saying is I I realize what you're saying about California and I don't disagree with you. But what I'm saying is a lot of these decisions are tough. And to to get back to what Valerie was saying, I mean, some of these. Some of these solar panels, yeah, they look really ugly on a house. Well, yeah. I'm pretty convinced that in 10 years, Valerie, there'll be solar materials that won't look any different than the shingles on that house. Now, I'm ah, not saying we should go ahead and tell people sense. they got to put solar on their roof. I don't agree with that. But but I'm, I'm just saying there's, there's tough decisions with basically – commodities that are going in in high demand like like water in Arizona that we've got to be mindful 
you know, th- those are those are things that that have to be solved, and, and none of none of the solutions are easy. Yeah, yeah I think no, you're no, right. you're absolutely uh, right. And, and and go ahead, Valerie. Sorry. That's okay. Um, I was just, you know, I've been working with some Israeli startup companies, and they're they've got all kinds of inventions to use humidity, you know, to turn into water and then, you know, clean it and desalinate or whatever they need to do, depending on, I mean, I'm not in Arizona, but they can desalinate from California. And these kinds of things are, um, they're really changing Israel. I mean, they're middle of the desert and they're exporting water. So I wish that our country would import, you know, some of their technologies and some of their ideas. We really wouldn't be having any of these issues. Well, you know, I, I think you, you should you should continue to talk to those companies. I, I I remember when people were just talking about desalinating water. I mean, like I'm talking about 30 years ago, and they thought it was like a a dream. Well, it isn't, as as Israel has shown, and you know, I know they they're they're big, they're building now big desal plants in southern Spain. I think they're even putting up a huge one in San Diego. So. Yeah. So yep. when commodities get short in supply, things things like water, innovation comes in, and then uh, you know hopefully we can prevail. Yeah, and, and let, let me ask you let me ask you something really important, and this is really big. Uh, what do you think? You know, you work with foreign a lot of foreign entities in terms of business wise and money wise. You know, now that South Africa has walked back their land reform proposal after the Trump tweet, basically Trump was going to take them on if they were going to take, you know, some of the land from these white people. Um, do you do you see any of that danger happening where you are? Um, and, and explain on that, because these foreign countries are getting dangerous with their communism. Well, look, I, I think – Whatever business you're in, whether it's gold or oil or 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 or, or anything fungible, yeah. when you're a foreigner, when you're a foreigner, there's always a risk that the government or the people behind the government in the country you're doing business will, will take your business from you. Right. Maybe they're not no, going to give even, you. We're even talking about. We're even talking about. These white uh, farmers that have lived in South Africa, and now the blacks are taking over their land because the dictator president that just got elected there is saying so. I mean, we're talking some of this dirty stuff, and I know you're in some of those. You even classified where you are as a fourth world country, where they are as a third world country. So I can only imagine if there was some sort of dictatorship that kind of tried to take over your business or take over what you're doing. I mean, how do you how do you elaborate on that? How do you describe that? Well. Here's what I'm saying. I mean, I have friends who are South Africans, and um, South, by the way, South Africa is, is a beautiful place, and not all of it is is undeveloped. Parts of it are are highly developed. But I will say this: uh, my my friends, and these are people I met in business school 40 40 years ago. A yeah. lot of my friends left when when the government changed, and and they they basically said. Look, I know I could stay here and try and get along and try and build relationships and trust, all, all the stuff I've talked about as far as Bougainville, but I've just right. decided I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to pull up stakes, right. and I'm going to leave. Right. 
and yeah. and those people right now are probably feeling pretty good about their decision. But but you 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 have that in in any foreign country. I mean, look at Venezuela. Look at what's happened to that country. I mean, Venezuela has more hydrocarbon reserves than any other country in the world, more than Saudi Arabia, more than Russia. But look at that country. It's a joke because the leaders have run it into the ground. And again, I have friends from Venezuela. They've left. So you always run that risk. And at some point, there, there comes a point where you just have to say, you know, hold them or fold them, right? I mean, that's it's no different than a card game. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely well said. And, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, you have all these different countries that do things their own ways. I, I want, you know, I have Mike Peters on the line. Mike, I want you to speak on this. I know you have some thoughts. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I mean, as far as that topic, by the way, hello, everybody. Hello from New York. Uh, Hi, Mike. Hello, Mike. How are you? I think it's I think it's interesting going back. Whenever you have a, a country where the, the government is not strong, not really stable, and there's a chance of a coup or somebody being overthrown or something like this, it's not balanced. Uh, you're going to look at this for industry. They're going to be. They're going to be demonized. Uganda did it to, what was it, the Chinese, where all of a sudden, after Idi Amin, one of the dictators or whatever legal president that was <clears throat> voted in, all of a sudden said the Chinese, everybody of Chinese descent had so much time to get out of the country. They wanted every Chinaman out of the country because the Chinese were really making a lot of money. I was reading a lot about that. Hitler did the same thing before World War II. He went in there yeah. and said that no, no foreign government, no foreign citizen could run or own or build a business in Germany. It had to be run and owned by a German national. That's how IBM and Ford company lost their companies. And, uh, and, and Adolf was a good friend of Henry's. I'm sure that must have been an interesting conversation. By the way, we're taking your factory. Uh, so it's, I mean, th- this happens all the time, and then people act surprised, but they don't, they don't study history. And I'm sure the major corporations, they probably deal with this all the time. The oil companies that are out there, they're probably ready for this. They probably have, they're probably ready and not surprised whenever anything like this goes down. And now South Africa, what's going on with this, with the, with the farmers, it's strange that no, nobody in South Africa took a lesson from what happened in Zimbabwe with the, up in Angola when that happened. And they, they were butchering, they were killing the farmers and everything, and now all of a sudden, did you read over the past two months, there are articles where they are inviting the whites back. They will give them permanent leases for years on the farms because they realize that, no, they can't do it. They don't know how to do it. They don't have the brains to do it, and this isn't a racial thing. I'm not racist whatsoever, but, uh, you know, talk about the reality. You don't don't have an education system. You don't have any, all of a sudden, you think magically you're going to turn a farm production over to somebody that still doesn't know what toilet paper is and, and he's going to run it and it's going to be impossible. <laughs> no. You know, the, you know, reality. So now they realize it, so they're sort of swallowing their pride going, okay, we'll invite you back. Now here's South Africa doing the same thing. You think that they take a look at that and go, all right, that, that was a mistake and we're going down the same path? But they don't. People never learn from other people's mistakes and they don't learn from history. They have to go through it all over again. It's unbelievable. 
Yeah. It really is. Not true. Very true. Now, I want you to respond to that, John. Well, I, I, I agree with Mike. I, I think the problem is, even if there was something we could learn from history, right. people always think the grass is greener. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, the U.S. economy is a pretty competitive place. So why am I doing business overseas? I mean, one of the reasons, to be honest, is I'm looking for a place that's a little less competitive, okay? However, that mm-hmm. means I've got to study and my history book carefully. Longer, though. You, you know very damn well when you have Donald J. Trump as president, you're going to be coming back to the U.S. so goddamn quick, it's going to make your eyes spin the way you're going to come back and do business here. I guarantee it. Well, look, I will tell you this. It's the greatest country in the world, and every time I re-enter U.S. airspace, I thank God that, that I'm a citizen here. I mean, you, you, you cannot imagine, you know, being in a place like I am, even for as oh, little God. as you know, you six or seven you. weeks. Uh, you, you cannot imagine what a luxury it is, what a what a privilege it is to be yeah. a citizen here. And, yeah. and um, so, so, you know, now that, that doesn't mean I, I want to try and make my living here. Cause I I've done that. I mean, I started out in the electric right. power business and by the way, right. I, I, I left to put up hydro plants in China. You, right. you know why? One of the reasons right. was you want to talk about a regulated business where they've regulated it into the ground. Hey. That's the electric power business in the United I States. Do, I do got to let you go China. in about a minute. I, I do got to let you go in about a minute. Sure, sure. No, I'm 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 done. And and uh, I, Rory, I really appreciate you having me on the show. And I uh, yeah, you've been you've been on you've been on. A, yeah, you've done a great job. I've loved having you on. It's been over an hour and a half, and you've been phenomenal. I mean, you're an amazing guest. Uh, you've been on multiple times before. Uh, we love having you on. Uh, it's always a real big pleasure. Uh, you have, always have so much insight and knowledge to share with us in the audience and the world who's listening. So I really want to thank you on that behalf. And, and you're also a good friend. And, you know, I also am doing a lot of different business stuff. So you and I uh, have a lot of stuff we can probably work on together. And uh, I have a lot of Well, we'll stay in touch. I make, and we'll it's talk. always a pleasure, Rory. And, and thank you very much for the opportunity. I, I hope uh, we can get on the show again and uh, get in touch with me uh, whenever, okay? Yeah. And, and to all and of you, And you and I, uh, you know, I'm looking, same. you know, I'm always, I'm always by the way, I'm always looking to make new business investments. I'm always looking to write new checks for something that's lucrative. So if you've got something good, you and I are going to talk, and I know you do. Uh, you and I are friends, and I know you always got something going on. So uh, we can talk about investments, obviously, off the air. But uh, please uh, promote yourself. I'd love to anywhere people can find your stuff, where they can buy your book, where they can find your okay. website, uh, advertise yourself. Okay. Th- thanks, Rory, and thank you, everybody. Good, good night to all of you. All right, have a good night. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Excellent. He's an, he's an excellent guest. What a guy. John yeah, he's D. Truder. He's fantastic. I, I really want to thank him for coming on. Uh, he's a good friend of the show. Um, 
You know, we have we yeah, had obviously a lot established. You know, what I do want to go over real quick, which, you know, a few things, is obviously breaking news today, which is upsetting me deeply, is Alex Jones and InfoWars is permanently banned from Twitter. As of today, they are permanently banned from Twitter. Alex Jones no longer can ever have a Twitter account. And, you know, Alex Jones is one of the most influential, one of the most inspiring, one of the most smart and uh, insightful people uh, in terms of the conservative realm. And the fact that they're trying to silence him, it's like a dictatorship from China. I mean, we have these leftists from Silicon Valley who they call the masters of the universe. And they are controlling basically what we see, and they're censoring all this shit, and they just ruin Alex Jones. I mean, this is terrible. I'm upset. Valerie, go ahead. (laughs) I'm sorry you're upset. Um, I agree that, you know, we have freedom of speech here. And just because yeah. they don't like the speech that, he, that Alex Jones If it can happen uses, to Alex Jones, it can happen to anyone it can happen being to taken off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and just, you know, it's one thing to incite violence. It's another thing to just disagree with someone's opinion. And, right. Um, you know, I think it's a travesty. I agree with you. Yeah, it's sickening. And, and Mike Peters, I know you're an Alex Jones fan. Speak on this real quick. Well, I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge fan of him. He said some outrageous stuff in the past, but he, well, it's not what they're doing to him. Some, he, he says some great things uh, regarding yeah. conservatives, and he's honest. Some, uh, you know, a lot of the times. But there, I will admit, yeah. there are some times where he's full of shit. Well, he, go he, ahead, though. He, he's come out with some. Yeah, he's come out with some award winners. Like you just sit there and scratch your head and go, "Where did he get that? What is that crap?" But, but <laughs> I don't agree with what they're doing to him, and I wish. I wish. I wish that somebody would start another. I don't. I don't know even how they do it. I know nothing about computers or anything. Start another website where conservatives, where we'd have our own views and have total control well, over get our ready. own censorship. Get ready. Get hey hey. Get ready because the so. your buddy Rory Sauter of the Rory Sauter Show, the greatest master, and who's going to take control of the political realm in the game is launching the Next Gen USA tonight. I repeat, everybody, I am launching officially. It is done. It is complete. The Next Gen USA tonight. And it is going to have people have their own TV shows. They have their own columns. They have their own radio shows, all breaking news. It's the same exact coding I used to build it as Fox News and InfoWars. So it's as fancy and as extensive build technology-wise as you can get. I put a lot of money into it. Man, that's outstanding. I mean, it, yeah, and it's so long overdue. This is something like this is needed. I mean, it's really needed. It, yeah, it is. It, each it, show it, would have their like, own control over who like, they could ban. It's like when a 90-year-old man needs to have an orgasm. I mean, it's much needed. You know what I mean? Uh, it's very needed. So this is yeah. outstanding. But that would be a slap in yeah. the face to all of them where they, you, they've become <laughs> irrelevant, where they're not needed anymore. Right, right. It's absolutely – I mean, it's so needed. And I can't wait to share it with everybody. And I, everybody's going to get very excited. And I have all these big people that have called into the show that are huge guests and write for some of the biggest newspapers and uh, are involved with some of the biggest companies in the world. And they're going to have their own columns on our on our site. So – 
we're going to get a lot of attention and uh, we're going to have a lot of big board members. We're going to have a lot of executives, a lot of big positions for people. So it, it's a very exciting time. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy to announce that after you said, you know, about a conservative outlet that's coming out that yep. would, that you wanted to come out that would be fair. And I've been working on this for months. So it's funny that you mention it because perfect timing, buddy. Perfect timing. Um, I do. I do also want. I do also want to. Yeah, absolutely. I do also want to discuss and and Valerie, um, real quick. I know you're going to be a big part of the Next Gen USA. Do you want to speak on it real quick? Um, I do have one last topic though to get to before we uh, wrap this up. No, go ahead because there's very little time left. Okay. You know what I'm very excited about, and I do want to talk to all everybody about, is the Kavanaugh hearings are, are you know, he's going to get confirmed. But what I'm very disappointed yes. about, how the Democrats are absolutely obstructing the process. I mean, they're making themselves look bad in the midterms. They're making themselves look weak. They're making themselves look like lack of leaders. They're making themselves look like sore losers. Democrats are making fools of themselves. And even some people on, on their own side are saying that. So, I mean, it's not even a, you know, uh, a, uh, you know something that's a secret. I mean, they are, are maliciously doing this. And Cory Booker and Smelly uh, Camilla Harris is uh, doing this just to get attention. I think they're try to get their 2020 run nomination. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I, I think as the same way as you are, I'm disgusted by the whole thing. I had a friend of mine that was down in, in Washington during this, and she has a conservative talk show in Albany. I just sent you a private message her yeah. name, and if you yeah. wanted to reach out to her, I will and do. It, I'd, I'd like to talk to her or hear from her because she told me on the phone, she said, Mike, and I've known her for a long time. She said, right in front of me, I was watching busloads of people pull mm-hmm. up and there were people with clipboards and they were paying people if you were willing to disrupt it. Yeah. Disrupt yeah. the hearing. They would pay you yeah. and offer to, to help yeah. you with bail. I said, right. you've got to be kidding right. me. She said, I saw it in front of me. Right. Now, she said she was going to try to get some pictures of this, but yeah. this is how desperate these people are. They they absolutely are. And and before we go, I do have some few things to say. Uh, North Korea, Kim Jong-un has expressed a big faith in President Trump, and uh, he believes in him, and he wants to work with him. And this is a new announcement today. So uh, the, the new relationship with North Korea is a promising future, and we all have President Trump to thank because President Trump stood, stood his ground and acted tough and didn't back down. Yep. And Kim Jong-un basically said, oh, I have no choice but to agree with Mr. Trump. So that was basically, yep. you know, that's, that's basically how it had to work, you know. And let's face it, guys, before I go, I didn't talk much about this tonight, but the and New York Times op-ed, let's face it, it's fucking bullshit. There's an it's anonymous garbage. source in the White House yep. so claim and nobody's coming out and being a man and saying, who leaked this? Who's talking about it? It has not been confirmed. It's a bunch of gibberish for the most part. Until you name who said it, who is reporting this, 
anonymous source is basically CNN. We have no proof. There's no proof. It just sounds like another fire and fury and Bob Woodward joke of fiction. So, you know, I really hope they catch whoever is leaking this gibberish lies. And we know that there's a lot of people that are made on the inside that will do anything to try to get Trump out of that White House. I mean, they are out for his blood. Mueller is going out for people that are related to him that get parking tickets, for God's sake. I mean, Mueller will yep. go to whatever stance. It's, it's insane. Even if, you know, I don't even know if it is true. I, I doubt if it is true. I think they just made it up because every harpoon they can throw to them, this is a multi, yep. multi, uh, yep. Angle yeah. attack. They're hitting him yeah. in every way they can, whether they're attacking anyone who's part of the yeah. administration, wants yeah. to be part of the administation. They're yeah. attacking him personally. They're this is yeah. they're yeah. hitting him from every all way. sides and they're Kavanaugh. Yep. And they want to yep. purposely jeopardize and sabotage the Kavanaugh nominee. And they've been trying yep. to do that just to act like jerk offs. Oh, the resistance. Yep. Give me a fucking break. Yep. It's 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 a, it, they're desperate and they're gonna get, things are gonna get worse. I have a feeling that it, they're not it's gonna only, be done. Hey, gonna, we gotta we gotta it, go. Hey, we gotta go, Mike. We'll get you on on the whole next episode. But I want to get Valerie's right. last thoughts. But let's just say the resistance and the left wing lunatics has backfired on them. But Valerie, I want to get your thoughts on this. We have about a minute. Go ahead though, and I want you to advertise your stuff. No, I agree with you, and I think that it, it will backfire in the next election and maybe and probably even the one after that. Um, yeah. So my book oh, is yeah. Back, Backyard Jihad. You can find it on Amazon.com. Um, my blog is um, BackyardJihad.com. And thank you for letting uh-huh. me advertise that. Absolutely, and you are the greatest. You are one of the, you are the greatest co-hosts. You are phenomenal. Um, I always love having you on every episode. You... Uh, make a great uh, commodity to the show. Um, I want to thank all of my listeners tonight. I want to thank all of my special guests. I want to thank all of my um, co-hosts. I want to thank everyone. We are now available in 14 countries. Uh, you can visit TV. You can visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com. And also, our new media empire, The Next Gen USA, which I put a lot of money into, uh, will be up and going. It's already ready to go. I just have to put it live. Uh, But you guys are going to find this as the new era and new way and new genre of InfoWars. I mean, this is absolutely as fancy and phenomenal as it gets. I can't wait for everyone to to share it with. Starting Tuesday, we'll be broadcasting from Next Gen USA. Uh, So that's very exciting. Um, I love you all. Um, I hope you all have a great weekend. Um, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to the Rory Sauter Show. Um, And we will uh, see you next week. Uh, Cheers, everybody. Amen.